Well, last week uh, in our series, The Head and the Heart, we talked a lot about the importance of using uh, our heads and our faith and the importance that the role, the role of the mind plays in that and in our Christian life. And as important as it is to focus on the mind, I do want us all to be aware of the danger of operating the Christian life exclusively from the head. Because carried to the extreme, that will take us to something very much like Stoicism. And the Stoics taught that to be truly wise, you have to be free from passion and remain equally unmoved by joy or grief. They believed that the expression and use of emotion uh, should be avoided at all costs. And obviously that's a terrible philosophy. Uh, The truth is that the heart, which we would kind of lump that into uh, emotions and feelings and passion, that's all something that we would relate to the heart when we talk about that. And the heart, like the mind that we talked about last week, matters to God. And like the mind, it has an important role to play in every aspect of our Christian life and in all the expressions of our faith and all that we are. God gave us a mind with intellect and the ability to reason and think. God gave us a heart with emotions and feelings and passions. That's all from Him. And so it matters to Him, and He wants us to use that in our lives. He wants us to use that in our relationships with other people. And He wants us to use that in our relationship with Him. It all matters. It's all something that he values, and he wants us to value that as well. And he wants us to take that, bring it to him, and he wants to use our heart in very, very big ways. But to do that, it, the heart, like our mind, has to be made new from the corruption of sin. Maybe you've heard these statements or have used them. Probably you have, my heart's just not in it. I mean, how many times have you heard that or said that yourself? Or, I just don't have the heart for it. Those are common things to say. And when it comes to loving God with all our heart, like we're commanded to do, without Jesus, none of us have the heart for it. None of us do. We know that command, we hear that, we agree with it, but as far as living it out, applying it, without the empowerment of Jesus, we have no hope to do that. We don't have the heart to love God with all of our heart. And the whole person has been ravaged by sin. That's the reason we don't have the heart for it. That's the reason that no matter how much you may want to love God with all your heart, you come up short on your own, because the whole person has been ravaged by sin. And it is the whole person that Jesus rescues and redeems, which is why we have to depend on him entirely, which is why we have to surrender every aspect of our being to him, because it takes him to redeem all of us and every part of it. And God commands us to love him with all our hearts. We've established that through this series. And it's through the work of his son and the power of his spirit 
that he gives us a heart that's able to do that. I want to draw your attention to Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. It's one of the most beautiful promises and realities in all the Bible that's available to us, to each of us. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. God says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how you'll be able to prove you really love me. You can say you love me all day long, and it's easy to say it. It comes off pretty naturally, but it's all just lip service until action follows it up. And the way we show God and others that we really love him is by doing what he commands. But how's that working out for you? On your own, in your power. The answer, your answer would be what mine is, not too well. Failure every time. The reason for that is because we don't have the capacity, humanly speaking, in the flesh, apart from Christ, outside of his work in our lives, apart from a new heart given to us, we cannot love God with all of our heart. We can't obey his commands. We can't follow his statutes. It's truly impossible. That is why this is such good news. This is the gospel, church, in the Old Testament. This is God saying, all that you can't do, all that you can't live up to, all that you can't measure up to, all that you may want to do in some small way that then gets railroaded by other desires, all of that I'm going to do for you. I will give you a new heart. I'll I'll place my spirit within you. And by me doing that, I will enable and empower you To love me like I command, like I deserve, like I want you to, and to follow all the commands that I give you. I'm going to give you what you need. Church, God gives the means to do what he commands. Isn't that great news? That's the goodness of God. He gives the means to do what he commands. And when God gives us a new heart, we're able to recognize that the only Lord of our heart should be Jesus. See, outside of the new heart that we're given by God at the point of salvation, we're not able to recognize that. We're not able to believe that. We don't understand the importance of that humanly, in the flesh, carnally. But when we're given a new heart, our minds are opened as well as being given that new heart. And we're able to finally see the value and the importance and the absolute need for Jesus to be the only Lord of our heart. We will want him to be. There will be that desire. There will be a deep, natural desire in us that replaces the natural, selfish desire for Jesus to be the true Lord of our life. And we'll be intentionally on guard against things that try to overthrow his throne. 
we'll be on guard for that and we'll, we'll recognize that. And though not perfectly, consistently, we will fight against all those things that come at the heart and try to usurp the Lord Jesus' rightful place as king over it. My uh, grandmother, my dad's mom, was obsessed with westerns. And she lived with us when I was growing up. And every time I, was, I would come into the living room, I'd want to watch TV. We only had the one TV, and it was... The small thing, but I mean, it was what we had, right? So um, I would always want to watch whatever it was that I was into at the time. And without fail, every time she had some Western on, like Ponderosa. You remember that? Who remembers Ponderosa? Okay. Boy. Or Bonanza. Or, or something like that. Butch Cassidy. And, I mean, they were all horrible. And, and inevitably, the cliche would come up every episode where the bad guy would square off against the sheriff or marshal, and every time the sheriff or marshal would say the line, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And they would square off in, into a duel every time. It's like, don't they get tired of this? But that would always come out, the line. I mean, I would just wait for it. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. And the thing is, that's very true of the human heart. Um, our heart cannot hold two thrones. Our heart can't occupy two lords. You know, Jesus talked a lot about that. He said, no man can serve two masters. You're either going to really love the one or you're, and, and hate the other, or you're going to be this, this split allegiance that's not going to serve anything. You're going to be torn. You can't do it. You can't serve God and something. Fill in the blank. It's you either serve God or you don't. You serve God or you serve something else. You love God or you love something else, and that shows that you really actually hate Him. That's the way it works. And the marking of, of a heart that's fully devoted to God, really, truly devoted to Him, loving Him fully, is where you are in your allegiance and who has the throne of your heart, who occupies the throne of your heart, really. That's a good marker. Because a heart that's fully devoted to God won't have room for fake deities, a heart that's fully devoted to God, really, truly, will not have room and will not allow room for fake deities. And those come in all kinds of shapes and forms and sizes and varying degrees. We all know what it's like to pursue idols. We have them in and out of our lives all the time. Uh, there's a, a wonderful quote. It's an old quote, but it's so good. It's timeless that the human heart is an idol-making factory. And that's, that's what it is. It's what we do. Every time we recognize idolatry in our heart, like, here's an idol that I have. Uh-oh, this is not good. And we, we get rid of it. We smash it like we're supposed to. God reveals that to us. We submit to His, His truth and we say, yes, this is an idol. This is not good. This is an affront to you. We get rid of that. It doesn't take long 
And there's another idol that takes its place, right? If it's not money, it's fame. If it's not that, it's, it's power. If it's not that, it's more stuff. If it's not more stuff, it's, it's better performance and recognition and respect at the job. If it's not that, it's holding on to family more tightly than you should. If it's not that, it's even something like ministry. It's even good things that we do that can turn into an idol any time they take the place of God as first and foremost in our hearts. So, I mean, that, man, that can be just about anything. Anytime we raise something up to even equal level with God, it's idolatry. It doesn't even have to exceed it. I mean, God should be unparalleled in his level of affection in our hearts and in our devotion to him. A heart, heart that's fully devoted to God, fully loving Him, will not have room or allow room for fake deities. King Josiah showed how true that is and showed us his heart. And he demonstrated that if someone truly loves God fully, they will do whatever is necessary to destroy any idols that try to take God's rightful place as first in our heart. They'll, they'll do whatever is necessary. They'll go to any means to destroy those things. And Josiah demonstrates that, and that's exactly what should be true of you and me. Um, Josiah's whole life story is incredible. I encourage you to study that on your own and, and dig deep into um, some of the things that he did, into his great reforms as king. I just want to focus, though, right now on just a small part of that, 2 Kings 23, verses 12 through 14. 2 Kings 23, 12 through 14. This is in the middle of the listing and describing of his many spiritual reforms bringing Israel back to God. The text says this, The king tore down the altars that the kings of Judah had made on the roof of Ahaz's upper chamber, He also tore down the altars that Manasseh, which was his grandfather, we talked about him at length in our comeback series, he tore down the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. Then he smashed them there and threw their dust into the Kidron Valley, which was a place of refuse. It was like the ultimate dump, the garbage dump, and that's where he threw the dust of these idols The king also defiled the high places, that was a good thing, that were across from Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Destruction, which King Solomon of Israel had built. There's another sermon for another time. For Ashtoreth, the abhorrent idol of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. He broke the sacred pillars into pieces cut down the Asherah poles, then filled their places with human bones. Which is kind of ironic. He's kind of saying, yo, you want sacrifice? Here you go. The ultimate defilement of those those idols and false gods. That's what I call cleaning the house. It was actually more like cleaning the heart. And not just cleaning the heart. It was a heart transplant for the nation of Israel. 
led by their king who led them heart by heart back to the one true God. Beautiful, needed, relevant, timeless. Sometimes a heart transplant is the only hope for people with heart issues. Uh, They get to the point when no amount of trying harder with diet and exercise, no amount of other procedures or repair work are enough. They need a new heart. And when that happens, sometimes a kind of spooky but cool phenomenon uh, has been known to occur and has been reported. Sometimes recipients of a new heart from a donor uh, actually report experiencing emotions and feelings and thoughts and passions that they never, ever had before. Sometimes people have like tastes for foods that they never did before or um, a passion for a hobby or an activity that they never did before or ranges of emotions. Maybe they weren't typically an emotional person. They were kind of cold or sterile and now they're just full of emotion, you know, and they, they kind of just can't stop crying. They don't know why. And there's all these different things that can occur. It doesn't happen all the time. Uh, it's still a rare thing, but it has been reported numerous times. Kind of creepy, but also kind of cool, you know, um, that, that there's that possibility of, of kind of these things that were true of this other person in the heart of the other person that transmits over. I don't know all the ins and outs of that. You know, it's just something that that has been known to occur. And, um, man, that's how it should be for every believer. What is in the heart of God, what is in his heart, should also be in the hearts of his children. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been given a new heart. That means that your heart should resemble the heart of God. It should move with his heart. His heartbeat should be yours. As we sang, and as Pastor Matthew said before the song that we did, uh, what breaks his heart should also break ours. It should, it should be like his. As he's transplanted our heart, we should see very powerful and lasting residual effects. And things that are true of his heart should be true of ours as well. So uh, the question then, if that's true, if that's what should happen and take place, the question to ask is, then what is in God's heart? What is true of his heart? There's a lot of different things we could look at. There's a lot of things we could focus on because God's heart is big. He has a big, wonderful, beautiful heart. And we could spend a long, long time looking at at different aspects of that. I just want to remind you of two very specific, very important aspects of his heart that should be in ours. And you see it there. Grief over sin and compassion for the lost. Grief over sin and compassion over the lost. Those are things that are very much a part of God's heart and should be very much a part of ours as believers. So I want to just talk to you a little bit about the grief over sin first. Grief over sin. And I turn your attention to Genesis 6, 5 through 6. This is one of the most gripping examples of the heart of God that contains grief over sin that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. It's, uh, it's just gut-wrenching. 
The Word of God says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is describing the world at the time of Noah. This is, this is before the flood, and this is why the flood occurred. And here's what verse 6 says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That's what mankind's sin did to God. That's what mankind's sin does to God. It causes his heart to be broken. And it's what caused the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross and have his heart broken for us to give us a new heart. Sin is a big deal. It's serious, and it's serious to the heart of God, and it grieves Him deeply. And the question to ask ourselves is, when is the last time sin, my sin, other sin, broke my heart? When is the last time that it grieved me to the heart? You know, Jesus, as He made His triumphal entry to Jerusalem, He stopped and He, he wept over Jerusalem. He cried and cried deeply over Jerusalem and he said, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had just believed and known who it was that was coming to you, if you knew the hour of your visitation and the things that would bring you peace, but you would not. And now it is hidden from your eyes. It broke Jesus' heart as he understood and knew the full depths of the sin of his own people that he was coming in to redeem, and he knew the rejection that they had chosen instead of receiving him. Sin grieves God's heart. It should grieve ours as well. But God's heart is not just bent toward a grief over sin. He also, thankfully, amazingly, has great compassion for the lost. We see that very clearly in what has become a very common verse to us, probably too common because we just rattle it off. We don't think about what it really means, the weight of it, the power of it, the implication of it. But John 3.16 tells us a lot about the compassion of God's heart for the lost. John 3.16 and verse 17, I want to share that with you. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world. In other words, the depth of his love was so much that he did this. For the unbelieving, rebellious, sinful world, that he gave his only son, his first, his best, his ultimate, his priceless one. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, even though that's exactly what should have happened. That was right and fitting and deserved. But he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then we see that visibly, powerfully in the person of Christ, the one who was sent, the only son. Matthew 9.36 says this, 
when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What were they harassed by? It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the religious leaders of the day. It wasn't the Roman Empire. Certainly that was all true. But the, the, what moved the heart of Christ with such compassion for the crowds that he saw as he recognized their helpless state, it wasn't that. It wasn't man-made harassment. It was the harassment, the endless harassment and oppression of sin, of the enemy. That's what harassed humanity. And what always does harass humanity. That, that is what is plaguing us all the time. From birth on. And Jesus, the great shepherd, sees us and he sees that, that helplessness. And he sees that we're under such oppression. And he has compassion on us. Because he knows what we need to know. And that's that he's the only shepherd that can rescue us. And he has compassion for those that are lost, harassed sheep. Do we? The Apostle Paul, in an incredible statement in Romans, he says, I tell you the truth, I'm not lying. My spirit bears witness to the fact that if I could, if this could happen, I would wish and ask God to make myself accursed and cut off from salvation for the sake of my brothers and sisters in Israel. For the sake of my people who belong the covenants, who belong the promises of God, who belong salvation, who have rejected it. I wish I could take their place and give them all my salvation. <laughs> what a heart. What a heart for the lost. Have we ever had such a heart? For the lost and dying around us? Have I? As we consider what is in the heart of God and believe that we should have that in our heart as well, um, a really important question that we have to constantly ask. I mean, every day, moment by moment, and, and as we dig into the Word, and as we learn more and see more about the heart of God, the question we have to ask is, is that true of my heart? Is what I see in His heart true of mine? Can others see that in my heart? Can He see that in my heart? We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that answer to us. Ultimately, church, he's the only one that can. I mean, certainly as, as I know you and get to know you better, and others like me, pastors, I mean, certainly we can tell a little bit about what is in a heart, and we can encourage you and challenge you in those ways. Those close to you who know you well, your husbands, your wives, your family, I mean, they know you, and they can see pretty much you know, a good idea anyway of what's in your heart. But ultimately, God is the only one who really knows what's in our heart and what's not. And only he can really fully reveal that to us. That's why David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. Get rid of it and lead me in your way, the way everlasting. Psalm 139. 
That's what we have to pray as well. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that answer to us. God, what is in my heart? Is what is what is in your heart in mine? And if the answer is no, then we need to ask him to cleanse and renew our heart. We need to ask him to lead our heart. And we need to ask him to make our heart like his. That needs to be the cry of our heart. I'd like to ask you to to pray with me. Everybody in in an attitude and posture of prayer. The heart is important. It matters to God. It matters to us. It's At least it should, as it matters to Him. The heart is intended to love God fully. That's the first thing we need to do with our heart, love Him with all of it. But it's also intended to be a blessing to other people. Our heart is meant to be moved for other people, like God's heart is. But none of that's going to happen. We're not going to be able to love God with all of our heart. We're not going to be able to love other people with our heart the way we should, the way we're supposed to, unless we have a new heart given to us by God through Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. Receiving a new heart by the Lord Jesus Christ, a heart that is empowered by the Spirit of God. If you have never come to a place in your life where you have surrendered all that you are to the Lord Jesus, where you've asked him, please, Jesus, save my heart, redeem my heart, rescue my heart from sin. Please, I give it to you. If you've never done that, then you're not going to be able to do any of these things we've talked about or what we talked about last week with loving God with all your mind. And as we close next week and we wrap this all together and we see how it's all to fit together into action and practical living this out, you're not going to be able to do that either. I just want to give you that opportunity today to give your whole self, your whole person, to Jesus. To make Him what He deserves to be and what you need Him to be. The Lord and King over your heart and mind and body and everything. If there's anybody here that would say, you know, I need to do that, I want to do that. Would you pray for me and would you be willing to talk with me further about this? My answer is yes, I would be. I would love to do that. Nothing would thrill my heart more. But I need to know if that's you. So could you just let me know by slipping up your hand? That's all I ask. Thank you. Praise you for that. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you. Anyone else that would say, yeah, I've never really given my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole self to the Lord Jesus. I want to. Pray for me. Anybody else? Okay, then believers, I'm not even going to ask for something specific because we're all in the same boat. Our heart gets distracted. Our heart gets bent towards idolatry. Um, We choose things that should not be taking the place of Jesus, and yet we allow them to. We're all there, so I'm going to just pray for all of us that we will have renewed, cleansed hearts and that we will experience this week Starting now, a heart that truly is moved with what moves God's heart, a heart that is led by Him and resembles His heart, and a heart that breaks with what breaks His and all that it needs to be. I'm going to pray that for us. You, you join me in prayer as I do, and then we'll finish up by worshiping together again. I pray, Father, for all of us that 
by your Spirit's power, by his work in us, that we would have renewed hearts this morning that would last through the, the afternoon and through the evening and then tomorrow when we wake up, it'll happen again and, and all through the day and every day from here on out that we would be people that have hearts perpetually cleansed and renewed and strengthened by your Spirit. That we will have hearts that are constantly fashioned and formed and shaped to resemble your heart, God, in every way that that needs to happen. First, with our love for you, that we would have hearts that do love you fully. But then, as that's happening, please work in us to give us hearts of love and compassion for, for each other, for our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But don't let it stop there. Give us a heart of compassion for the lost like you do. And in all of these things, we've got to hate sin the way you do. We've got to be grieved over sin like you have grief in your heart over sin. So please keep that in our hearts and build that up in our hearts. May we be a church collectively that is made up of people individually, believers individually, that have God-like hearts. We need you to do this. Please do so every moment. For those that signified the need to have a new heart to begin with, they've never given their heart fully to Jesus and they need that, I pray that your spirit would work in them right now and that they would yield their heart fully for the first time to Jesus to redeem their heart and go forward in the newness of that with joy at the ability now to have a heart like yours. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.